Greetings from Cyberdelic Space. This is Lorenzo, and I'm your host here in the Psychedelic Salon. And unless you've been joining our two live salons every week, you may think that I'm on vacation. But actually, it's just the opposite. You see, the first few years of the Psychedelic Salon actually took place before podcasting was invented. During those years, the salon was always live. It was only in 2005 that I began podcasting, and now, with the pandemic, I've come full circle and I'm back to doing primarily live salons. You see, before the pandemic began, I'd already been doing these live salons once a week. But after the lockdowns, I started doing four live salons every week. There were two on Mondays and two on Thursdays, both at 10.30 in the morning and 6.30 in the evening. By summer, we all had kind of burned out with so much Zooming. <laughs> I think you probably know what I mean. So we are now getting together in live salons at 6.30 p.m. Pacific Time on Mondays and at 11.30 in the morning on Thursdays, 11.30 Pacific Time. That makes it in the evening for our European saloners. As it happened, one of our Thursday morning salons took place on the day after the Trump insurrection. At the time, of course, nobody knew what was going to happen next. Well, so much has happened during the short time that's passed since then that it's easy to forget what a mess we were in. Now that the change of administration has peacefully taken place, I think it's still worthwhile to recall how unmoored we all were during those two weeks. Our nation has just undergone a severe trauma, and whether we realize it or not, most of us are still somewhat dazed by the wild events of this month. So next week I will be podcasting a recording of our live salon that took place on the day after the inauguration. And I think you might be surprised at what we talked about on that wonderful day. However, today I think it might be good for us to remember where our minds were just a few hours after Congress declared Joe Biden the winner of the presidential election. We've all heard a lot of talking heads on television giving their opinions about the events of January 6th. Well now, here's a discussion that took place among us ordinary people on the day after the attempted coup. And my guess is that you were thinking some of the same things that we were. Rio, I'd hoped you'd be here, you and Ildiko, because uh, you are our uh, overseas eyes and ears of what's, what, what, is, what do you think is going on? <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> Incredible. <laughs> We've been reading. We were just listening to, who was it? Um, Christophe. Uh, yeah, Christophe from the, uh, hey, Charles, uh, from the New York Times. And um, we've been reading for two days, everything we could just read on New York Times, BBC, and we've been just blown away. <laughs> it's such an incredible crisis. I mean, it's really generationally defining. Yeah. yeah. <sighs> Unfortunately. I'm sorry. Yeah, go ahead. A historical moment of American uh, democracy. As, as far as historical crises in the United States during my lifetime, uh, it's it, the four I would list are Pearl Harbor. And I was in utero, so I wouldn't walk around. But Pearl Harbor, Kennedy assassination, 9-11, and yesterday. Those are, are really defining moments in U.S. history. 
Yep. Yes. Yes. They really are. They really in modern times. Yeah. Yeah. Really yeah. Rio and Ildiko, what did the um, what what did the international coverage look like? I've gotten a little bit off of BBC and a little bit off of Bloomberg Business, but what, what's it look like from your vantage point? It it looks like it's condemning Trump as a terrorist attack on on American democracy, and every leader of of Western Europe so far. Except Russia or Eastern European countries had not said anything, but the rest of the Western European countries condemned the whole Trump uh, actions as a terrorist attack, as the awful things in, on de- democracy, and everyone called out to he should be removed. They don't understand why we are keeping such president. Why don't we remove him? Immediately, so the dangerous um, president who is uh, in attack on, on our democracy. Mm-hmm. Of We've been wondering that for four years. Yeah. <laughs> Merkel in Germany, you know, quote, was angry and saddened. Um, Boris Johnson against him. I mean, everybody that we've read, but the Russians are particularly silent, of course. Mm-hmm. And uh, like you said, I haven't seen anything come out of Eastern Europe. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean it isn't there. We we look at BBC a lot. Yeah. Yet, uh, but that was from the morning on. In fact, BBC had quite good coverage on it. You know, early in what, what would be early in the morning your time when when we got up and started looking. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, World Service has been doing their usual World Service good job. I've listened to them too. It, uh, yeah. And New York Times. Looking, yeah. I'm, I'm Chris, looking for, well, our, go ahead. Christoph, by the way, we were just listening to him, uh, you know, the columnist on the New York Times. And he said he thought it was very unlikely that they would invoke the 25th Amendment. Uh, and unfortunately, McConnell's wife, who was, I guess, transportation secretary, just right. resigned. He was somebody who would have voted to get rid of Trump. So he said he was concerned that so many people were resigning uh, because that leaves a vacuum. And he re- recalled back to the days of Nixon when he was toward the end and they were afraid that he would try to launch nuclear attack on somebody. Um, so, you know, it's making things actually worse that these people are suddenly, you know, resigning to show their morals or whatever. But the, ones that, the ones that seem to be sticking because of that reason of they're worried about uh, their replacement in 13 days here for the next 13 days are a lot of the national security staff. Uh, I think That's Elaine Chow is the first cabinet member to resign. And, uh, yeah, the, the 25th Amendment, you know, with 13 days, uh, the only reason they're really talking about uh, uh, another impeachment uh, which maybe can even take place after he's out, is that if he's impeached, actually impeached, uh, he can't run for any office in the United States again. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's that's why they're talking about that with only 13 days left. Yeah. You, you, it, 
that he's removed by the Senate because he's already been impeached. Yes, well, he, he wasn't convicted. Yeah. He has to be convicted. Has to be convicted. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Just to clarify that. Go but ahead, the, the, the other thing about the 25th Amendment is the timeline. It, it takes a minimum of eight days, and it uh, might even increase the volatility if he's got uh, the bunker mentality that he's reported to have. And then his um, his cabinet is saying he's unfit for office. He's got four days to prove. Uh, I think they have four days to bring their case. He's got four days to rebut it. Or something of that nature. He's got four days to defend, and they've got four days to rebut. Something like that. So you know, you 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 basically run out the clock. Um, you know, in that in that scenario, while increasing the volatility. So it's a cathartic idea, but really the only thing that's going to work is impeachment. And with McConnell sending everybody home, uh, that's pretty much off the table, which I thought was really despair uh, discouraging. But there there was one really uh, good sign uh, during the day. You know, the the reason that the National Guard didn't get called out is because the D.C. National Guard is under the president, not under the mayor of D.C. And he refused to call him out. And so she finally got through to Pence, who got the acting secretary of defense on the line. And the two of them got the National Guard called out. So even though Trump was refusing to let the National Guard be called out, People in, uh, you know, reasonable, responsible people did kind of take charge. So uh, I, I'm worried about the next 13 days, but I think there are some uh, people who are in charge that are even more worried than me. Go ahead, Carl. It, it raises a fascinating precedent question that we've never right. dealt with before. Like the 25th Amendment is for um, mental or physical incapacity, but it's not about dereliction of duty. And what Trump did, I mean, let, let, let's take the most charitable, you know, interpretation that uh, he didn't knowingly incite, which I think is hog shit. But, yeah. but um, let's say, you know, he has the situation. He refuses to call out the National Guard. He refuses to um, to actively, um, you know, put this thing down. That's dereliction of duty at a decision-making level that we've never seen in the United States. And all of the reporting I read yesterday credited Pence with the decision-making of the executive branch of government. So Trump is de facto not behaving as president. I have no idea what that means in terms of, you know, him being removed. Perhaps he's already boxed in, but it's, it's a really bizarre and unprecedented set of facts. By the way, if I can just throw in, I just got an update from the New York times that uh, speaker Pelosi said the Democrats were prepared to impeach Trump again if his cabinet did not remove him using the 25th Amendment. What's her timeline? Uh, I don't have the whole article here. Watch. But, yeah, yeah, I hope I hope I hope that that's like, you know, by by sundown, you know, but they rarely have that kind of, you know, courage. Right. Because right. it is urgent. It's like literally every yeah. every hour um, makes a difference. Yeah. yeah, it's we have no idea what this guy could do. You you were uh, you were talking about uh, how it was treated worldwide. Here are the headlines in some of the papers. There's the Ottawa Sun, uh, the Guardian. Uh, you know, they all have pictures of the breach of the Capitol, and uh, it's the front page of every paper, uh, Last yeah, Days of yeah. Trump, Arab News, you know, everywhere. This is all over the world, front page. Yeah. And and yesterday, I, I was watching what, like everybody was, what, what actually 
in my life unfolded yesterday in the morning, Charles and I were exchanging ideas about what to talk about today. And, and he, he came up with a good suggestion of how does the psychedelic community deal with the massive change going on. And I'm sitting there thinking about that. And I realized that Trump was about to give his last speech, you know, the last major speech. So I decided to watch it. And about a half hour, 45 minutes into it, he's telling the crowd that there are 250,000 people there and he is going to lead them up Pennsylvania Avenue to storm the Capitol. I mean, he actually said, I heard him saying that. And the minute he, he said that, you know, I've been struggling with the word change that we've been talking about. And I thought, that's not change. This is fucking chaos. Mm -hmm. And so I just stopped what I was doing. That's when I sent out the announcement for today's talk. Uh, and that was before they got to the Capitol. It was quite obvious that he was calling for a, a coup. This was a coup. And the fact that he didn't let the National Guard be called in uh, reinforces that. It was the D.C. Metro Police who finally got control of the situation. So uh, bravo to them. Uh, and, and they let everybody go. And this this is really being called out as a racist incident because uh, while they, they breached the national capital, 68 people got arrested. Last summer, it, under the Floyd George Floyd protest, 14,000 got arrested because they were black, you know. Uh, and all those, if the white people can breach the Capitol and the black people get picked up for, you know, being black, we, you know, the racism was really evident yesterday, and that's something that has to be talked about, I think. It's not just armed people. It's, it's armed white people waving Confederate flags <laughs> and with white power insignia on their stuff. Some of those flags, if you, a friend of mine works, uh, used to work for the SPLC, and, you know, he's like, that flag is, is a hate group in Montana, and this, this guy is, the, these guys are Michigan, and that's a Georgia Thing, all these crazy hate groups and it, it just shows like what you would have to do to, I mean to imagine if Black Lives Matter had tr had attempted that and then imagine if they were online beforehand talking about what weapons they were going to bring to the rally and it's just there's no you you can't say that there's not structural racism there, looking at this. There's a couple things there, too. Number one, you can't imagine Black Lives Matter doing something like this because their goals are so explicitly stated that this would just be completely beyond the pale. So that's thing one. <clears throat> to circle back to the fact pattern, um, Lorenzo pointed out the 58 arrests, the majority of which were curfew, curfew violations yes. that mm -hmm. occurred after – 6 p.m. I think there was like 14, some something under 20 arrests made for the actual siege of the Capitol, which is an extraordinary uh, failure on on several levels. And again, you do have to look at complicity. And then you know, I saw a bunch of um, you know hot take tweets of like, see, this is this shows that police know how to respond differently against mob insurrection than they do in the, you know, than they did in the, in the civil rights protests. So Lorenzo is absolutely right. There's an extraordinary amount of, of institutional racism here, but this actually provides a helpful counterpoint in the argument in structural police reform to articulate how come this is treated this way over here and not this way over here. And the fact pattern over here is that much worse. Now, is there courage within the incoming administration and within state houses to execute that? You know, that's an open question, but the facts are there. How many of these guys who were, on the steps of the Capitol for BLM dressed in, you know, full jackboot thuggery. How many of those guys were like, you know, I'm going to take the day off so I can go to this Trump rally. 
Well, there's that, and also there's there's all of the cosplay that goes on on either the white supremacist side or the police side. And, you know, ever since the surplus that came out of the Gulf War started getting filtered into police departments across 100%. the United States, there's this hideous, you know, militant cosplay that is, you know, fueled by a toxic culture that it's like, oh, hey, the protesters are coming to town. I get to dress up like the Punisher with my death's head skull and an American flag with my, you know, semi-automatic weapon. But, you know, all of a sudden the people are coming, you know, in in their um, West Coast Avengers cosplay from yesterday and uh, we're going to leave them alone. It's 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 definitely a disparity. That's that's a problem. Did you say the conspiritualist Kenya? That's excellent. (laughs) Christoph said in his um, interview we were just listening to that one echo what you're saying, Charles, that it was a clear example of, you know, white supremacy and that they found on videotape the police actually removing barricades to let them in. So, you know, what will come out in the next few days will be very interesting as they analyze the camera footage. Absolutely. A lot of people people are going to get fired. Well, and, 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 and another thing about the footage is some of the most iconic footage that emerged yesterday were people breaking glass outside the Capitol balcony and inside the Capitol with a riot shield. Where'd they get the fucking riot shield? You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Watch, watch some of the glass breaking footage and you'll see that. And so either, you know, some cop, you know, was so afraid of y'all Qaeda that they just dropped their riot shield and ran away. But I find that incredibly unlikely given the response in the, uh, in the civil rights protests. It's it's a it's a quagmire. Yeah. I, I think that. Oh, go ahead. Kenya. Go ahead, Kenya. Go ahead, Kenya. I was just gonna say there. There's some of them were even taking pic- selfies with them. Yeah. 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 I saw that. So, <laughs> I'm pretty sure that just like even in the part where that lady gets shot, you can see that they're in there with them in the crowd. Yeah. It's going to show them trying to help them get through to the other side, but they just like kind of walk walk out and leave them there. Right. I was I was listening to to Laura Ingram last night because given the choice between listening to her bloviate and Lawrence O'Donnell bloviate, at least I was going to learn something from how the other side was bloviating. And she was interviewing some fool that was recording footage of the incident that led to the uh, the the the, the uh, protester or the the rioter getting shot, and it was astonishing. Some dumb, you know, twenty six year old kid with a cell phone that positioned himself as a citizen journalist was saying, "Well, she wasn't doing anything. She was just standing there," and and this went unchallenged by the Fox News host. And it's like, you dummies were committing a crime by simply being in there. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Kenya. Um, they were all like pushing her up so she could get through the window. Yeah, it, it's just you know, and 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 you want to say, oh, we weren't doing anything; we were just having a laugh. Well, that is white supremacy in action, number one, and number two, the fact that you know this ding dong Fox News host, you know, wouldn't challenge you were breaking the law, you were rioting inside of the Capitol. It's sad that your friend got shot, but these are the consequences. You know, shows that there's still an awfully long way to go. I, I I spend a lot of time, first of all, Charles, I told you you'd be good today. Uh, second of all, um, 
I spent a lot of time thinking about John Brown's raid on Harper's Ferry hmm. because that was faith-based. Because I do believe the Trump people, this is faith-based. The reason why they're, they may not be as stupid as we all think. They just think that the storm is coming. And so therefore, they're going to be fine because Trump's about to take over the government. There's definitely, there was definitely that. There was definitely an expectation that why weren't we met as saviors when we walked into the Capitol? Um, I did, I did hear that in, in, in a few of the interviews. There is a bizarre faith. I mean, the flags were, I mean, you know, in, in 15 years or something, when we can look at this without it being so raw or at the way we process information in three years when they make the Netflix miniseries of this, you know, all of the flags, you know, are going to be astonishing to watch. I mean, all of this, like Jesus and Trump and Trump is Rambo and Q. And so it is faith based, but it's this weird, the closest I've come to it in, in fiction is Neil Stevenson's Tactical Jesus in um, in uh, Fall or Dodge in Hell. It's like this weird hybrid of militarism, Q conspiracy theory, and Jesus. You know, it, with, with a little bit of mushrooms. Like you know, Bette Williams posted this thing <laughs> about the Q shaman running around, and she goes fifty fifty. This guy was on shrooms, and I think he probably was high. I don't know what he was on. So, I mean, I mean, that was like one of the most psychedelic displays we've ever seen in our lifetimes. And it was sickening, but all of this does kind of create this toxic faith that's motivating uh, the behavior. And it's going to require, you know, at every level of society that we actually get our shit together and act like grownups. And the one positive thing, and we'll see if it happens, I'm, I'm not holding my breath, is nobody scares more easily than a politician except perhaps a, a newborn kitten. And um, they were scared yesterday, you know, and rightfully yeah. so. So perhaps this will provide the pivot point that's necessary, but, you know, there's a lot of accountability that has to happen between now and then, and I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm very, 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 very disturbed not to see that accountability discussion uh, more advanced than it is, but, you know, maybe we've just gotten used to being impatient, and these guys need to shake off the human trauma first. My wife and I flipped on CNN and caught um, Mitch Mitch McConnell on the Senate floor finally talking sense. And if that was your first ever time of hearing Mitch McConnell, you would think like, okay, well, we, I was in support of the president exhausting his legal options and we now have to get with the program. And otherwise the democracy enters a death spiral. And I looked at, I looked at her and she looked at me and we're like, this guy sounds reasonable for the first time in my lifetime. And then we had dinner and watched some crap and then turned it back on. And there's people rioting in the Capitol. It's like too little, too late. Come on. And, and then, you know, watch doom scrolling on right-wing media. So apparently the, the Antifa sent uh, false flag actors with the Trump flags to make QAnon look bad. And you're just like, <laughs> then people will believe that too. And, oh and yeah. That was all over Fox. That's, That's the only they have. Yeah, that won't that won't withstand scrutiny um, once once people start getting arrested for the selfies that they were taking. Question, Charles: Does Trump pardon all the protesters who get arrested on that day? You know, did you ever watch? Did anybody watch The Shield, uh, which was this cop show? All right. Well, in the very end, this guy does terrible, terrible things. He designs a, a immunity for himself and doesn't design immunity for other people. 
And that's what Trump does. He designs whatever immunity he can for himself. And I don't think he gives a shit about anybody else. And I don't know necessarily that law enforcement is going to move quickly enough to um, apprehend the folks that are involved here. So I think the clock might run out before Trump can pardon it. Uh, you know, so the answer to your question, Ian, 50-50, but my sense is that he's so selfish that he's only going to care about himself and, and uh, his daughter wife. But, but the lines are being crossed. Lines are being crossed that are 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 unfathomable. I mean, I used to just think he was a con man who's who's stumbled into power, and now this, you know, he's he's found his base, and he's, you know, obviously the base is apparently riled up now. But when he starts executing people who are on federal, uh, you know, federal inmates who are on death row. You're like, you've escalated into murder at this point. You don't know who these people are. You're just like, oh, the militia groups will like me if I kill these 12 people. So let's roll up the executions for the first time in 17 years. You're like, you've escalated. You're a fucking murderer now. There's no, this, the sociopathy knows no bounds. And so people who are calling for impeachment and stuff, he has the nuclear codes. Now, maybe he can't use them, but what can he do? What missile can he fire to, to get, you know, to, to rile up his base for the whole? It's really a ter- terrifying exercise. There, there, there's, there's some historical precedent that uh, I think Michael Beschloss was talking about yesterday that um, during the, la- the waning days of Nixon, The defense secretary created a protocol where any military strike option had to be co-signed, I think, by a member of the Joint Chiefs or or, or, or by himself or something like that. So I would would have to anticipate that reading between the lines of all of the statements that came out yesterday that credited Senate leadership and Mike Pence with the decision-making that – and the the retired – SecDef letter that Dick Cheney of all fucking people organized um, that said, you know, the military has no role in this. I would have to imagine that the military has developed some kind of safeguard in that capacity, but you're right. This is the right thing to be contemplating in a, in a, in a fearful fashion. It doesn't have to be nuclear. It can be no, 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 I understand. It can be anything. Yeah. It can be anything conventional that escalates the situation in a burn it all down, après moi the deluge strategy, which appears to be what he is intuitively doing. Because I don't think that he's smart enough to actually know how to pronounce what I just said, and what I mispronounced for that matter. Yeah, I mean, a war would be his ideal gambit here. Um, I stay in power somehow. Yeah, I mean, the thing that's uh, – and I'm talking too much. No, I think he's late to the game on that. I, I was thinking, well, when are we going to go to war again, you know, start some proxy war or, or, or start fucking with North Korea or even China or whatever. Don't switch horses in midstream. I'm a wartime president. I mean, I was – the fact that he's – it's too – I feel like it's too late to play that like- card at this stage, but I'm really glad that it didn't come to that because for a while there, it, it sure felt like, you know, the arm skirmish, tail wags the dog kind of thing. Right, absolutely. He wants to retire. Go ahead. I was just going to say that just, just to put put the thing on a little uh, lighter note for just a moment. Uh, you know, there were a lot of people in in that uh, attack on the Capitol, and they didn't get arrested. But you know, they all had their pictures taken. So what the FBI is doing, I, I haven't seen this come come true yet, but I've uh, read several reports that the FBI is going to put every one of those pictures on this website. And the first person to identify the picture of the person and the person gets arrested, you're getting a $1,000 for every ID. And so, Ooh, Has anybody put in Trump? 
<laughs> no, you, well, I don't know. It's the FBI website. You can't put anybody in there. You have to identify people they put up there. Uh, That's so, a stimulus well, this is criminal. So there's a way that, that some of those good old boys can make a little money, you know? <laughs> oh, go ahead, Kenya. Go, oh, Kenya. I was watching CNN earlier, and I think it was either a senator, senator or a rep tweeted after the FBI said that and posted Trump's picture. Oh, really? Right. <laughs> it's the weirdest. I mean, you know, that's like the ultimate in tag your friends. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just a way to save money on the stimulus. Just give less thousand dollar checks. Yeah. <laughs> well, this comes out of the black budget, Evan. Well, the good news, of course, was that the Democrats actually got the Senate. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That was that would have been the big news of the day. Yes. Yeah. Great. We can now spend four years squabbling over transgender bathrooms. <laughs> I mean, it's just like I, 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 I'm really gr- I'm really glad that now there's you know the people who are less bad are on the same you know the House, the Senate, the, the the executive branch. Sure, the courts are the courts have been messed with, and executive privilege has been greatly expanded. But the internecine squabbling of the Democratic Party, I, I'm please get something done. Here's where psychedelics come in, Lorenzo. We, we've got all the all the gears are in place. How do we get everybody on the same page to actually move forward on issues that can uh, that people can agree on? Um, that's yesterday might have been it, dude. Yesterday might have been the squid at the end of Watchmen, because that was that was the first time that you know in in, in the last ten or fifteen well since nine eleven that we've actually seen a bipartisan um, unity of tone about how we need to conduct our government. Now we'll see if it lasts the 19 days, but you know, clearly, <laughs> clearly the Democrats have a mandate not to, not on the social issues, but they have a mandate to bring government into a state of boring maturity. And they have a mandate to bring government to a state of professionalism and to solve some of the structural decay. So I think I agree with you on the squabbling. I, I to choose not to focus on it and instead to focus on to what extent can Biden and his, uh, his, his, his administration use this as an opportunity to create, you know, some unity towards mature, responsible government. And we'll find out real fast. Like you've said, Charles, like the, the journey from A to B is, is long and torturous and moves very slowly. And a lot of the progressive candidates, well, I completely agree 100% on things like the Green New Deal or just changing the way we get energy. Um, it's, it's my dream of getting, you know, something in, in the schools where 14-year-olds go into the woods and take mushrooms. We're a long way from there. And, you know, this may be generational, but we, on the other side, we don't seem to have time. If the coronavirus is the pause that the planet needed so that carbon, you know, uh, carbon emissions didn't tip us into some sort of uh, feedback loop where all the glaciers suddenly melt in two weeks, um, that it gave the planet a pause to breathe, uh, we have it. We have it. it. There's, there's these. I see it as competing impulses. It it's very much reminds me of Earth First when they used to spike the redwood trees with quartz and uh, Q U A R T Z, great Scrabble word. But they, they wouldn't get picked up by the X-ray machines, and they would bust the mills. 
And you would say, well, you can't do that because, you know, the loggers and people at the sawmills, they're getting, you know, the blades can fly apart. We've had casualties. You can't go around spiking trees. You have to change the forest policy so that with legislation, so over time, you can't, they can't, you know, you protect the forest. But what ends up happening, you know, their argument is, yeah, by the time we get there, these forests right here are gone. So, yeah, I mean, those are, those are very January 5th ways of looking at it how dare you and 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 i think and i think that the real question is how does january 21st government behave when there is a mandate towards um bipartisan mature and and functional government and yeah we're going to get back to all of these arguments about what is too much and too little regulation and and trump has really rolled back regulation in a fashion that might actually impact positively the stuff that you're describing ian um but you know i i think that the the real question in front of us right now is um do we act like adults and solve problems or do we continue to squabble i think that's really the only thing that's on the table for the next three weeks well, the other big thing that's on the table, and it, it seems it seems to me in the Gaian philosophy of COVID is an immune response by Gaia, that for whatever reason, this this uh, uh, this disease seems to uniquely target America. The amount of times that over the over the last you know over the summer and into the winter and all of this that. The main headline has shifted in the United States. There's the election, then there's the recount. Now there's these, you know, Black Lives Matter, all these things. Some, you know, a lot of it's worthy causes, worthy news headlines. But you're like, dude, there's 3,000 people dying a day. There's new strains. There's no, there's, there's no people, distribution. People had COVID. Oh, did it all freeze? No, oh, no, I'm just, I, I'm just saying that it, and now this, where you have this enormous riot that spills, or excuse me, uh, rally, sorry, rally, riot. And, this enormous rally that spills over into a riot on the state building where hundreds of people go into an indoor space without masks and scream. And you're like, this is, do, do you not see the numbers? I'm speaking right now, uh, first of all, with a nice herb tea, dry January, everybody. Too much detail, too much detail. So where are you going with Sorry. this? The, no, no, no. Where I'm going with it is uh, um, there's, we're at a stage right now where, um, no, go ahead, Charles. Take it. I don't have anything to say. I want to hear where you're going with it, though. Um, I my train of thought is uh, far too. We're talking about America and the headlines, basically. Oh, right. Yes, thank you. So right now, the I'm speaking from the most infected place on the planet. Right now, London has the worst uh, infection rate. Anywhere in the world, London, this city, they say in, in my borough, one in 60. And that's, if you look at the rate, look at the rate of England, and you'll see the, the kind of the March, the November, and the now. And the now is out of control. We're filling up, we're having 800 cases a day in the UK. That's one of our biggest hospitals filling up every single day with coronavirus patients and all the, and, and all the staff that that entails. The London is two weeks from having no beds at current rate. And we've got this new strain. And I'm looking over at America, which, which just about logged 4,000 deaths yesterday going, Hey, all this is great, but this is coming your way. It's oh, actually there. It's here. It's here. Los Angeles is now requiring that um, that, that 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 ambulance technicians, 
make a determination that if a if a patient is unlikely to survive, they are not to be brought to the hospital. Los Angeles is running out of oxygen, yes. um, and and no question that what we saw yesterday is going to be uh, a, a super spreader event of extraordinary scale, and it's going to tax um, hospital capacity when all of those people go home because they weren't apprehended and or it's going to tax the uh, prison system's capacity to deal with uh, with infections. No question about it that this is definitely the next stage in the Trump death cult, uh, you know, coronavirus Biden, advancement. But what Biden's what the mandate is right now on the ground, you want to talk about January 21st is to get a hold of this, because what you don't what we have here, I think that's happening. I well, think that, 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 that I think Biden's already kind of got that think, underway. There's here's what I don't want to be doom and gloom. So here's what's possible. Whatever you say, I mean, the fact that we're the most we clearly aren't doing something right. But there is a top down mandate. When Boris Johnson comes on the TV, everyone goes, ah, "Right, the schools are closed." Okay, Ian, Ian, Ian this is this is happening. Biden's already setting up the infrastructure to do I think a million shots a day. Go ahead. Yeah, and, and let me let me jump in for a minute. Very quickly, Lorenzo. Sixty percent of the population says no, thank you on the vaccine. And no. here in Southern California, the rate is one in twenty-five. It's not one in sixty. It's much worse than it even is in London. We on January fifth, we had like three percent hospital uh, beds left in Southern California. I'm talking about L.A. down in Mexico. Uh, it's just as bad here as it is there. It, this is everywhere. And and it's getting worse. Yeah, but it's there's there's going to be here. a lot of hospitals collapse here in the Southern California yeah. in the next two weeks. But yeah, it's worse than it, statistically. L.A. is the worst there is, uh, as far as we can tell. But uh, but it is cold in England, so there's that. It's a very weird scene right now. It's not quite the tension of March where people are making raids on the on the the grocery stores and and such. There's a real sense of fatigue and. But this new variant, this new is is it's incredible the the way um, and, and people are describing really strange symptoms, um, facial rashes and stuff like that, and it just shows the virus is mutating. It's trying to figure us out. It wants to be herpes. That's it wants it to live in your system and spread. But right now, as it figures things out, it's killing a lot of people. But as long as it keeps spreading at the rate it it, it is, it it's gonna. It's going to keep mutating into spinning out different uh, different variants. I, I I don't know. I look. There's a. It, it's not the United States of America. It there's fifty. I mean, this election in Georgia that for all however hard it was fought, it was fifty fifty. Just about fifty fifty. It's a coin toss, and I don't see how the real struggle is. Is I think you're right, Charles. I think what you've said is like people need to expect more from government. And if they hate everything, we just need to give them education and give them UBI and make their lives appreciably better. And then it doesn't matter what their policies are or, or what their politics are. How do you get that to the, because we're strapped. How do you, you need people? You can't, to sign up? Right, dude, we are right now in the scenario of the, the, the airplane is crashing and you got to put on your air mask first. And so I don't think we have the luxury of necessarily worrying about how we get to the UBI thing, but we will get to the UBI thing if we all put on our goddamn air masks and start acting like adults. And I think that's what this moment um, potentially represents is an opportunity to recenter our government behavior and also our citizen behavior on just growing the fuck up acting like adults, treating each other with dignity, 
and treating outliers like outliers. Be responsible human beings is what you're saying, which is yeah. All, that's that's all it takes, but <laughs> but it, it's hard to get. I mean, it's, I don't know that. It, I mean, it, yes, it's it hard. Happen, to, yeah. It doesn't happen all that time. But the thing is, at this point in, in history, it's going to happen. There's you know, Republicans can't continue talking the way they are on January 21st, and between now and the in the inauguration. There's going to be a lot of soul searching in a lot of people and a lot of change. I think the uh, the whole head state of not only us, uh, America, but uh, humanity is uh, changing substantially in the few days. 100% right. And and everybody's going to have to behave differently. And no question, no, there's no equivalency here. Like the Republican side of the aisle has trafficked in more destructive rhetoric and action than the Democratic side, hands down. On the other yeah, hand, yeah. on the other hand, um, everybody needs to level up their game. Everybody needs everybody. to start. Does everybody needs. Charles, does a national mask mandate does it work and does it fly? We don't have one. No, but if if Biden says, "Okay, everybody in your mask for two months." Yeah, I think it does. I think there will be outliers, but I think by and large, um, we're going to be so overwhelmed with horror by the next four weeks of um, hospitalizations and hospital failures and death and the super spreader that comes back from Washington that I think everybody's going to be humbled. And, you know, it's, it's going to be the morning after the riot when people go, oh, my God, that was fun, but I burnt my house down. What have I done? You know, one of the things we're, we're talking here, what the, the leaders in Congress should do, but what, what do we do on, on, the, on the street level, you know, us guys that – uh, we're all pretty much on the same page here in this salon right now, but uh, I've got friends who will not ever admit that Trump lost the election. I mean, they this had no effect on them other than to cement their position that they are not going to give up. Now, how do I deal with those people? You know, I used to have work for a guy that says you're either part of the solution or you're part of the problem. Uh, I've, I've had to like disengage from, from all my high school classmates, uh, because, you know, they, I just can't, my head's going to explode around them and my mouth opens up and then they get pissed off at me and, and then I get pissed off at myself for not saying really what I thought. So, you know, how do we deal with this? We're all in this same situation. We all have some friends who are not going to come around like we'd like to see. Yeah. Well, I, 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 go ahead. Sorry. Go ahead, Rio. Well, yeah. I just agree with you, Lorenzo. I mean, I think, you know, when you're saying that, Charles, I would love to believe it. But, you know, there just are people who believe in this guy, Trump. And like you were saying, that this was, what, tenths of a percent that made the difference in these elections in Georgia. Um There is so much, America anyway, is so divided. Um, you know, I hope things will flip. We all do, but I wouldn't count on it. Well, I think I think the problem is that we're we're all acting like pundits rather than citizens. And yes, I understand when you read yes. when you read the 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 news and you see the trends, it's very easy to go, well, I'm not going to put my neck out and behave, you know, differently, more generously, more more x y or z because it's clear from the numbers that other people aren't going to act that way either, and that might well be true. However, insulating yourself from disappointment by not altering your behavior to be more civically engaged, more compassionate, more trying to bring people around, 
allows the prophecy to fulfill itself that nothing's going to change. And that's the, that's the paradox and the very difficult problem that we face is that, you know, we've just all kind of got to move forward. And in response to Lorenzo's point about the, um, the, the people that live in an alternate reality, I don't know that retrospective discussion is going to be at all helpful. I think all we really need to do uh, or all we really can do is root ourselves in pragmatic forward progress. And if it doesn't serve pragmatic forward progress, then don't spend any energy on it. I, I think there have always been people that didn't believe in whatever it was. Lorenzo, you've got to remember signs on the side of the highway saying in Pete Earl Warren. <laughs> I sure do. <laughs> okay, so that was a John Birch Society. They didn't accept anything. And, uh, and at the end of the day, they were irrelevant. Ankur, I saw you were trying to get in. Yeah. Uh, I, I was just like overhearing the discussion on change and what we can do at the street level and how we all have friends or we know people who completely don't get it and they seem to be on a polar opposite side of things. I was discussing with my friend yesterday about everything that was going down at Capitol Hill and the scene looks like there, there's, I mean, we were saying that that's irrational. That's, that just doesn't make sense. There's no logic. And then it occurred that, well, obviously it's not going to seem rational, whatever is going on, because the people who are engaging in that behavior do not respect reason, do not respect logic, do not respect uh, any kind of thought process that uh, has some kind of an enlightenment value, uh, you know, just in reference to the European history, I, I would say. But what this comes down to is that it seems there are two camps of people in terms of their thinking style. Uh, ones who want to uh, only perpetuate old conservative, imaginary, traditional, ideological, fundamentalist kind of uh, political force. And then there are those who are trying to refine their logic and reasoning skills and try to envision a world which uh, is is more in line with such thinking. And it's almost like there's a tension between these two kinds of personalities that kind of gets distributed into left, right, Republicans and Democrats. And, you know, and then you, you'll, it, it keeps branching out and branching out. And at some level, we as individuals kind of experience it as this uh, frustrating dialogue with this other person. Like, what? I mean, what are we, like, do you not see this? You know, that kind of thing. But it, it almost seems like uh, uh, it's, a, it's a population level phenomenon that is unfolding and um, of course, it's natural to have this urge to think of how can we respond to it in a in a more um, uh, wiser way. You said, you know, it's time for us to grow up and act like adults. It it seems like what does that mean? You know, that that's something that we need to for for most of us who know what that means, that's easy. But how do we convey that to people who seem to be caught up in some kind of a sophomoric adolescent? Uh, drive to just be violent and just think in templates that have been inherited by, you know, outdated historical influences. 
I think we've got the lesson. I think a lot of people who are turned on paying attention there, I know I feel it, this frustration of like, I get the lesson. I see we have to change. Let's do it. Let's be more loving to each other. Let's use less. Let's aspire to less. But the reality is, is we, this is, we're still in the classroom. We haven't graduated. We have senioritis maybe, but we got a long way to get through before graduation and we can move on to the next phase. So right now is really very much about like gathering all your knowledge, finding your community, loving your neighbor, whether they voted for Trump or not, just whatever, if they need, if they need help, you, you help them out. But it's also right now, be inside, wear your mask, don't travel. I'm going to post this link right here. Part of, part of what we can do right now for ourselves is to follow basic, basic guidelines of just being, you know, being sensible. Uh, I put up a piece a little while ago of like, what would, what would you, your person X to, to almost everybody else. And what do you want person X to do? You want person X not to mingle, to stay home, to you know follow the guidelines, to take the vaccine when they get it. And everybody's trying to cut corners. Well, I don't want person X to, to go and meet their 10 friends in the backyard because technically they can. I don't want person X to go to a... Person X doesn't want me to fly to California to go to my father's funeral. Like person X doesn't want you to think of it, to think of it that way. And that brings the communal spirit. The mask doesn't, isn't really going to work outdoors or does, isn't necessary when I'm, but it, it models something. It says, I'm in it with, I'm in it for you guys. Person X wants me to wear this mask. I don't know who the fuck you are, person X, but I love you in, in, at least to the point where I don't want you to die. Two things there, Ian. Uh, one, I, we don't need to love our neighbors. We just need to respect them. Um, I think that's. I think. I think that's actually an easier bar for us to sell people. Like you, don't, you don't need to love. You know, the Trump voter it's across a spectrum, the street. Spectrum, Charles. It's. A I, I, I get it. I'm just. I'm, I mean, as a rhetorical strategy. And, and number two, I, I, let's not lose sight of the fact that things actually are changing. Like, let's not lose sight of the fact that even if it was fifty-fifty, Georgia still flipped. You know, and and so we've got to acknowledge that things are moving you know, in a different direction, uh, it's a matter of perspective, whether it's positive or not, but um, things are changing. And so we can build upon those changes and respect our neighbor. And, and you're absolutely right, Ian, to point out, we have a survival crisis with the with the um, with the disease, and we need to rise to it. And you really should read Ian's piece about um, uh, 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 that, that he described. It's really quite good. And, and let me also add to that in that, uh, in, in a positive note that as fragile as a democracy is, and a, there, it, let's call it what it was, it was a coup attempt. And, and it was sedition on Trump's part to incite a riot. But it, all that aside, the, the Trump, the Congress got done what they were going to get done. They, they certified the election. They certified Biden as the next president. And, the democracy actually survived. It was hanging by a thread, but it did survive. I'm not saying it's going to survive the rest of this day, but at least we should <laughs> we should celebrate the, the little victory in the middle of last night, huh? Yeah, and Congress actually remembered what the hell they were there for. I mean, you know, the one so the, the great the great image of last night was the withering contempt with which Mitt Romney was looking at um, yeah. uh, what's the name of that twerp from Ted Cruz. Josh Hawley. Josh Hawley. Um, you know, he was just like looking just deep contempt at Hawley while Hawley was delivering his objections. And it was clear, like, you know, you guys are playing out the role that you assigned yourselves, but you have no uh, you have no friends. And so that's good. They remembered why they're there.
Yeah. Yeah, Mitt Romney. Screamed at Ted Cruz, this is what you've gotten at some point when uh, during the mob action. So, you know, they're starting to real, you know, there's some interaction going on with them, whether they can, uh, to me, this looks like the end, you know, the final death throes of the Republican Party. We'll see if it completely dies out or change. It obviously needs to change. In terms of Lorenzo, what we, so, you know, we're watching all these big things unfold. You want to have a big effect. But then you mainly have to work at, you know, some lower personal level, especially when everyone's in quarantine. So what I do, Lorenzo, is I post uh, links to Psychedelic Salon podcasts, especially those with Terrence McKenna. I may put, you know, some of your comments in or, or ones that I've heard. And that just makes me feel better about spreading the psychedelic message and especially the thinking of this, you know, deep philosopher that, that was with us you know, decades ago. And then the second thing is like, well, then what can we do personally? And so Jody bought me a, uh, a box of mushrooms on Amazon. They're oyster mushrooms, but I'm learning, we're learning how to grow mushrooms. And in four days we have all this, uh, all these little baby mushrooms coming out. It's good knowledge to have, I think. <laughs> Most assuredly. We'll be expanding our uh, mushroom variety soon. I like where Mike's going with that. I think uh, I think Charles has been kind of getting at it this whole time too, which is like we need practices and and just things in our everyday life that that move us forward together to kind of address like Lorenzo's question, which is like how do I talk to people about this? It's like maybe you don't, you know, like we almost have to let the the ghost fester or. I don't know. It's it's just it's interesting, and um, forgive me for speaking on emotion because I don't typically do this. But like, like first off, I'm super grateful that this is even here. Like Lorenzo has created a great thing, and you guys are all awesome. But I do find it troubling compared to what my before I ever joined the the these private salons. I do find it fascinating that we're drawn so often into political discourse because I really do think that we need to be more open-minded. Like a lot of us in here in that discourse are even talking like the left way is the right way or something, you know, like, and I, I really don't think either side has it. And that's why what Mike said, just, I really like that because he's like, what can we do? He's like, I share good and good ideas that I like, and I'm trying to learn how to grow mushrooms. It's like, what else can you do? And I, I think there's a beauty to that. To speak, to speak directly to that. And thank you for bringing some emotion into it because it's, and Lorenzo, the, the answer to what you say to people is actually kind of a psychedelic answer. Because in psychedelic space, there is no language. You, you, I, on DMT, I suddenly was like, oh shit, I have no words to describe this. And I felt like I had a, it's like pin the tail on the donkey, like a little pouch at my waist. And I was like, that's the moon. And those are the pyramids. Like that, that, but every, tons of other things are go, this is a mandala. And I think that 
when we're talking about what we can do, it's actually not a block of text. It's not a speech bubble. Sometimes it's just a look in your eye. I feel like sometimes the mask, it forces you to say as much as possible by looking at someone's eyes to express. I, you know, as a spoken word guy, I use facial expressions and I pull all kinds of funny faces or whatever. And I use that as a way of communicating. But with the mask, I have to try to speak through my eyes and there's, you know, love to communicate that with, you don't have to look at your neighbor with anything, but like real peace and, and not just respect Charles, but love the, the idea of like, Hey, we're in this together. We're on the street. We're in this store and I'm going to smile at you with my eyes and I'm not going to hate you regardless of your beliefs. I, I like that. Uh, uh, sorry if I can jump in just quickly. Uh, and, and this is also in relationship to the previous comment about the distinctions between left and right that we do. Uh, I, I think the point is that we all inside us carry a dualism and we are all, uh, we all have these internal dialogues that define our own personality. I mean, we, none of us can claim to be a perfect logical thinking being because we are influenced by our intuition, by our emotions, by uh, prejudices that we haven't probably figured out. And we are all on a journey to kind of reprogram, unprogram, debug our own minds. So the, 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 the journey towards compassion for the other, I think, begins with our own acceptance of our internal contradictions, uh, of, of examining more closely what we hold in our own minds that seems to uh, sometimes play the trick on us. Sometimes we feel, oh, this is who I am and this is all going, you know, I, 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 I'm, I'm a peace-loving person, but at the same time, suddenly there's this this trigger that incites some something that we don't like in ourselves, and like, who is this? And and this this internal resolution process with our our personalities and personas is probably part of the work of being, or some of the things that I'm hearing over here, the psychological project of being uh, that we seem to all work with. And of course, these tools, the psychedelic tools and uh, philosophical literature, all of that is a great. Uh, uh, repository of knowledge and technology for helping us to to w do this work of being uh, in, in some way. So it, it, it's like what Karl Marx said, you know, like the work of the philosophers is to interpret the world, but the point is to change it. So maybe that, that philosophical work and the point of changing probably, uh, I mean, what we can do is something that we can do within ourselves. If, if not involving any other person, we can certainly do that work on our own self. We're in the woodshed. Correct. We're in the woodshed. Yeah. This is we're we're working on our instruments. We're learning the flute better. We're learning the guitar better, and we're frustrated because we want to jam. But yeah, circumstance <laughs> yeah. circumstance has forced us inside. So just keep practicing. Go on, Chris. That, you know, just keep practicing doing what you do. And when they open the doors, we can jam, and we'll all be better musicians because we, those of us who people who are working on it. And also, Lorenzo, this is the sad fact, and I've had this conversation with other other folks, like, this is Gaia doing a cull, and it seems indiscriminate now, but the people who are anti-science, and science will save part, will, will save us if we apply our, our better natures to it, and don't develop thing, tools of warfare, like, they're not going to take the vaccine, and there's your cull. 
and it's terrible. And we can love them. We can say, look, you're a victim of circumstance, whatever, but it's better than the indiscriminate shit that's happening now. The people who actively deny the best scientists on the planet who developed a, a cure for the common cold over a weekend based on research. These guys are heroes. These guys are moonlanders. And so, we're going to deny the best very quickly to, who are going to deny the best of it. Those people more disproportionately are going to die of this thing. Does that not feel like pulling back into political when you bring up like the, the COVID deny versus accept and, and live Dude, COVID is that's survival. That's survival, Evan. COVID is apolitical. COVID is amoral. COVID is an asteroid. There's no negotiating with it. It's not a political argument. It's like, well, we can take steps A, B, and C, or we fucking die. And there's, we're doing the best we can with the science we have. And we either need to all step up and go, okay, we're on board with Project Humanity, or we go, you know, okay, well, I'm going to go in my survivalist cabin in the woods because all society is going to hell. And if you want to live in the zombie apocalypse, there's shows on Nat Geo Wild on exactly how to do that. Actually, if, if I can go back and address uh, something that Evan, I think, is trying to get to. So we live on this island. It's very uncrowded. It's very easy to go out and walk around. We always still put a mask on, but, you know, there's very it's easy to avoid contact and still get lots of exercise. So yesterday we're out walking around the island and I've seen more people out on their decks. Just, you know, all this stuff was going on on TV. You know, everyone was watching it. And yet so many people were out waving down, uh, saying hi. Some of them, uh, we don't know that many people, but one guy I know is pretty conservative and he was screaming about the cockroaches crawling all over the Capitol. I used to live there. And, and there was almost like a connection. And so uh, Ian was talking about what you can see through the eyes. And so, you know, we're talking to these people and there's hope even for, you know, these people who, you know, maybe aren't in your political stream uh, that maybe they'll see things differently. And then there's other people who just want to come out and interact with anyone they see on the street, you know, talk to people on the street. And so I think, you know, yesterday helped push people out into the world and and just looking for something positive to find. And so all we can do, I think, is try and reflect that back to the people through our masks, through our eyes, and do our best. In defense of politics, um, you know, there's two parts of the um, – the psychedelic experience. There's the psychedelic space that the journeyer goes into, which permits um, self-actualization and, and contact with the other. Um, and then there's holding the space. And holding the space should be as unobjectionable and clean and um, non-interfering as possible so that the journeyer is able to go out into the space of, uh, of transformation. And in its ideal state, politics, particularly in a self-government situation like we have here in the United States, even though it doesn't feel like a self-government situation, that's how it was designed. Politics is about holding space. Politics is about creating the mechanism that enables people to do what Chris is doing and start his own nonprofit organization that is 
creating within his value system the world he wants to create. And that's why I think, you know, I understand the concern about making these conversations political, but the purpose of politics is to make it possible for the citizenry to self-actualize, and it's worth participating in to a certain extent on that basis. I, I, would, I would posit that perhaps that that is not the ex- entire complete extent of the purposes of government uh, I, I you can't you can't ignore the notions of control you just you just you can't it's just it's a massive factor yeah control is a flavor that government has chosen to move itself into that is definitely over the top and definitely in need of reform absolutely well it's it's in it's a system that's in place in right. order for us to, to go to to work towards a common goal, we need a system in place where, you know, which is democracy and the most votes win and, and et cetera. And right now that's come to a four because, well, it's election season and this has been one of the craziest, certainly in my lifetime. And the, you know, the other systems that are in place are global communication. That system is in place, but it's also fucked Facebook and Twitter and whatnot become, you know, these evil spaces of trolls and whatnot, but that system needs to be there so we can all talk to each other. And sooner or later, these systems moving slowly are, uh, and psych, I, I mean, I'm sure a lot of, you know, certainly in this space and the psychedelics, not so much as the drug, but as the mindset of holding the space of like anything is possible of curiosity and laughter and potential and possibility. That's, that's another element that that's there, but it's not in place yet. And that's, and that's, uh, that's us. It seems like we are the system, right? Like we we make the system and as we change, the systems change and the changes that occur in the system depend on what predominant patterns underlying it start evolving or emerging uh, based on whatever natural principles guide these things. Uh, Do you mean personally? Do you mean personally, Anchor? Uh, I'm sorry, what was that? Do you mean personally, like your personal space can change? Uh, yes, your surroundings. Yes, like, yes. Uh, I, I, mean, I mean there are feedback loops, right? When we talk about systems, we are talking about feedback loops that are occurring within ourselves and with our relationships with other people and our connection with society at large. And and, and so in some ways, um, I'm, I'm thinking of R.D. Ling and politics of experience. And in in some ways, we can't avoid politics because that's what we are. We are political creatures encoding uh, a political system. Uh, that is exceptionally different from everything else that happens in the rest of the wild, right? I mean, the human animal is a very peculiar animal uh, in the way uh, it has evolved, in the way uh, we have created this mass amount of history that is influencing us as we proceed further into history and how it is communicated, how it is miscommunicated. So it's all probably in some kind of a change or in some kind of a process of transition. And uh, perhaps opportunities for uh, positive change could could probably be just around the corner, and people who are tuned into these opportunities would probably be catalyzing some positive change coming up in the future. We can hope for that. Uh, of course, there's always coincidence or positorum, and there's always possibility of a negative thing happening. Uh, well, then we're fucked. But yeah. But we should strive for the positive. You're 100% right. About Absolutely. That. I think creative spirit is something worth worth fighting for and something worth you know, putting our bets on. 
rather than a destructive, uh, uh, narrow-minded uh, kind of. I mean, and and I, I think we have to at some point take a side, uh, whether we are on the creative side uh, of, of mm. transforming chaos into something positive, or are we just going to be resigning to the 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 the, you know, the whims of faith. It's hard not to incite the Terrence McKenna birth metaphor that we should be the midwives of the new, you know. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. You, you do that by getting involved. And and let me re, re, uh, inter, uh, introduce something here is that, you know, we this is a wonderful uh, high-minded conversation, but we still have 13 days of a... a <laughs> A lunatic president. Now you know that that last night, in the midst of all of this thing, he got banned from from Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Facebook and Twitter, he's banned until or Facebook and Instagram, he's banned until after the inauguration. Twitter banned him for twelve hours uh, until after he deleted some tweets. And let's let's not overlook the fact that John Ossoff is Jewish, and he was elected senator in Georgia. Mm-hmm. Yes. And his parents are immigrants. And, and the other senator is the uh, pastor of the, the Baptist church where Martin Luther King Jr. preached. So, you know, that is really pretty revolutionary in, in a red state. Right. And the other, the other piece of all of this, too, in, in, in defense of politics is that, you know, psychedelics were part of the political agenda in this last um, – election and uh, and and overwhelmingly were brought into being liberalized so you know th- there's there's a place for us all to be getting involved uh, to the capacity that we are you know best able to participate and for some people their best ability to participate is smiling at their neighbors to some people the best ability to participate is through their professional activities and to some people it's canvassing i mean i'm not i'm not making a judgment about how you participate i'm just you know suggesting that we should all be participating in the direction of, I think Anker said it best, um, a creative and positive response to chaos as opposed to a resignation to chaos. Yeah, I think your point, Charles, that anything that we can do to raise consciousness is a positive step now because we need that for people to understand ourselves and everybody else. And that. You know, I kind of take back what I said before about the 50-50, at least we tipped the scale. And just as Trump maybe has made it seem okay to do the type of things that people did yesterday, now hopefully other people will think it's okay to stand up and say, you know, it's enough. We need to go the other direction. Yeah, and then the interesting. Go ahead, Lawrence. I was going to say, let me add add a word about chaos because I think it's very important to to think of it as chaos uh, in the terms of uh, back in the seventies, I believe it was. Ilya Prigozhin got the Nobel Prize in Chemistry for his work on chaos, and what what he discovered was that uh, in in a really complex chemical reaction where you have a lot of chemicals. But the end result is something that's synergistic, that moves to a significantly higher level. And what his, his Nobel Prize was for is to show that the instant before it snapped to that higher level, it was complete chaos with no hope of, and it could go either way. And since then, of course, this has been applied to societies or books, there's papers, there's, you know, whole departments on this. But basically the thing to recognize about chaos is 
is while yes, it could fall apart, but it has the opportunity to synergize to something significantly better to come out of the chaos. And that's the direction I think that we're going to go. I really believe that. I, 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 as much of a curmudgeon as I am, I'm, I'm still a, an incurable optimist. The, the evidence, no, the evidence is right. definitely, yeah. the, the evidence is definitely suggesting that 2020 ended yesterday and 2021 began yesterday and the people that voted 50-50 in Georgia were voting in 2020, but now that the balance is tipped, we're in 2021 and let's see what we do with it. And we can take the most hopeful view or we can take the most resigned view. I like the saying out of chaos cosmos. That yes. is a good saying. I would say, at one point, and besides smiling at my neighbors, I did call Ted Cruz's office yesterday. Couldn't get through, but after enough times, I finally did and got an answering machine. I do contact uh, our local, our uh, congress, congressional people down here and encourage them to impeach Trump. And and I have been involved in introducing uh, components of psychedelic. Uh, medicine into medical school curriculum, third year grand round or third year medical students grand rounds and things like that. So certainly we should use our professional connections to try and promote that. And so I, it is working at all levels, government, our professional levels, but also our, I think our personal levels just to give us some feeling of satisfaction is important. Right now, my, my, my wife is um, taking a Buddhist meditation course for the month of January. So I don't know, it's an hour and a half, four times a day. And she goes in and they, they have teachings and then there's chanting and then there's meditation. And like, it just feels more chill in here. And, she, you know, devoting your attention to the enlightenment and, uh, you know, the higher rebirth of all sentient beings is a positive uh, a thought pattern. You know, we tend to, our inner dialogue tends to you know, of complaining and, and, and wish that wishing things could be better and doom scrolling. You, those are ruts you create in your brain going over and over. And instead to change that narrative of into, into a chant, into a mantra. And when she, you know, whenever there's conflict, it, she steps in and that she's vibrating like a guitar string and it, you, you can't help but feel that vibration. And um, I, I keep telling her like, this is what you get. I'm not, you know, <laughs> I'm as good as I'm going to get for now. Like I'm not suddenly going to start to be able to fix cars or anything like that, but it's, insp you know, it's inspirational to just devote a little time to your day to changing your internal dialogue. So that the way you're vibrating, when you in interact with people, they can't help, they can't help but smile. They can't help but feel a little better. And uh, yeah, that's, that's, uh, she is definitely my better half. And there's a good lesson there, too, that um, we're all connected to it. We're all connected to it. We can feel like we're separate from the the political system and the chaos, um, but we're all connected to it. And, you know, you get to choose how you use that connection. Uh, Wilfredo, uh, I have to ask. I'm going to ask every week. You got a trip report for us, buddy? Not yet. Not yet. Okay. Well, <laughs> Such peer pressure, Ian. Keep no peer pressure. I'm interested. I'm curious. Take your time. People will come out when they're ready to come out about it. I don't want to put pressure on anybody. Hey, he told the forum. <laughs> did, 
Hey, Lorenzo, did you, uh, did you get around to revisiting the, uh, the limits to growth? Not yet, to tell you the truth, that, that I, I had actually planned on doing that yesterday. Uh, <laughs> Same here. I kind of got sidetracked. I was going to do that, and I was going to podcast our last uh, salon before this, but uh, I, I haven't been able to refocus yet, so uh, I don't know if I will. <laughs> we, we, should, we, we should make that, like, sometime this month, we should make that a Thursday topic. So everybody gets an opportunity to read it and have a, you know, grounding. I was going to read it yesterday, too, but other things intervened. <laughs> I kind of had it on my notepad there. <laughs> I kind of had the assumption when I when I signed on this morning that this entire day was probably going to be largely about what was happening yesterday, and that that absolutely makes sense. This is a, a safe space, a safe space to ex, you know express deep feelings about the subject, and like I I totally get that. Yeah, yeah let's. I I would love to do that conversation at some point. Oh, we will. I'm sure. Yeah, I think that's a great idea. I think that everything is teetering, and uh, and obviously it could go either way. But I think that uh, I think that uh, the right wing Trumpist people are not feeling defeated. Uh, they've got a martyr, uh, you know, uh, Horace Wessel when he was killed in the Beer Hall Pooch. They wrote a song about him, and that became the Nazi national anthem. I'm not saying that that's going to happen, but just because they got scattered and a bunch of them are going to get arrested, they're going to be martyrs, and they're going to have trials, and they're going to do crazy things at their trial. And uh, we're not out of the woods on this yet. At not at all. all. You know what? We, we, this sounds like we're, we're the, the ones that back in the 60s were talking about the Chicago 7, and we're saying, yeah, we're going to give them publicity, put them on trial, but now it's all flipped and we're on the other side. <laughs> yeah. Well... John Brown, I'll go back to John Brown. John Brown, it was his trial that mm. made him the folk hero. Right. Okay? That's and then right. they hung him and made him even more so. And the same thing with Hitler. It was, uh, it was his trial for treason, and he got off, you know, with two years. But, uh, uh, but he put the Weimar Republic on trial, and it worked because – membership rose and I, I i i think that you know we're just i think we're just high-fiving a little bit too soon yeah. i don't hear anybody high-fiving i think i think i i think that we're we're anticipating how we're going to respond but you're right i mean it's definitely we're not out of the woods there is a toxic ideology and the challenge of course is that what we saw yesterday is just because they are um, foolish doesn't mean that they don't pose a threat. Right. Yeah. And, and it's all going to be resolved one way or the other because they keep saying it, you know, in the state legislatures. And the state legislatures are filled with QAnon people. Not filled. But, they've, but you know, there's a bunch in every state. And, this isn't, you know, it's just we'll have to see. But you're right, Charles. We all have to do what we think is right and go ahead. Oh my God, that was David Crockett's motto. <laughs> I, I think, I, you know, I think we, we need to be careful about thinking that it's 50-50 because I don't really think it's that close. I think it's more like 60-40, something like that. First of all, one half of the people in this country didn't vote in the last election. So, you know, there's a, that unknown as well. And so I don't think we, we need to look at this country as being so divided. I think there 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 is uh, there is division, obviously, but uh, I don't think it's 50-50. I think that there, there's a lot more unity 
on some common issues than we we are uh, been led to believe, and it could be seventy thirty that when you come to uh, attacking the Capitol and, and breaking into the Capitol, I think it's maybe like 80-20 or something. It's not 50-50, I don't The, the best thing that can happen, I, I saw uh, uh, like the, the tail end of Sarah Palin on Fox yesterday, and I, I, you know, I'd forgotten she existed, so that was a very upsetting thing to witness. And she, <laughs> she said something to the effect of, um, you know, well, just floating it, but maybe it's time for you know, a third party to, immu- to emerge to really lead the revolution that changes this country. Please, 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 please take fucking Ted Cruz, take Josh Hawley, take all of these Q morons, because I think that does get to Lorenzo's point where it's like, you know, they might have a disproportionate influence upon the Republican Party now because those people are uncourageous and pander to their perceived base. But if they create their own party, then, you know, you've got a split and the Republicans can return to just simply being obstructionist to, you know, any kind of progress, but not insane obstructionist to any kind of progress to reflect my bias sorry don't stress evan it's it's election season (laughs) (laughs) there seems like i I can see the logic in in trying to promote like the survival of the notion of conservatism like can we save conservatism from fanaticism yes yeah and that's what the lincoln project's about although i'm I, i i can't be a fan of the lincoln project why not you don't want to. I just I find all of those people to be hacks, and I and I find their rhetoric to be unhelpful. They're just yeah. I, I agree. I mean, I think I thought that their stuff was funny at first, but I'm not sure what they even exist for now. Except that I think that they're trying to be the uh, the center of the revised Republican Party. Yeah. And honestly, yesterday, uh, uh, Mitt Romney with his speech took a big step uh, towards 2024. Compared to these other guys, yeah, but who knows? I agree. But also, a lot of Trump supporters, a lot, a lot of it, you know. Uh, uh, again, this bring up this friend who, who worked for the uh, for the SPLC, and you know, was on the ground. He infiltrated hate groups and got a picture of himself arm in arm with uh, Frank Metzger, and he's got a Nazi tattoo under his arm. So you can that's if you don't want to have the facial swastika, you've got this symbol that you put here. So on a short sleeve, you can just raise your arm and it's a little, a, a follow wolf from a, one of the SS things. So he's kind of on the ball on this. And I'm like, where are these people coming from in Georgia actually? And uh, he says, they, you know, they hate being mocked on mainstream news. They hate seeing Trevor Noah get up and just beat him like a pinata. You know, they hate being treated like they're stupid. And because they feel like, you know, this is our lot in life and we're not, we're, you know, and if we are, well, that's, you know, well, we don't care. We'll turn over the apple cart. Nobody likes to be mocked. And what you get is someone like Donald Trump, who's just been, you know, he's so thin skinned. He can't and imagine all those people who are also thin skinned, who can't take a joke, who go to the press correspondence dinner and get, you know, roasted by Obama and the entire room turns and laughs. How much of that informs how much he hates the world? And if you look at, you know, there has to be some way that we can, you know, in the Lincoln Project as well, you look over and you go, okay, that was kind of a good one. But it's, is it, like you said, Charles, is it helpful? And this is a, this is a, a point where humor can, you know, is a dangerous road to tread because sometimes, you know, you got to punch up, I guess is what it is. You don't overcome the bully by behaving like the bully. 
So um, this is the first time I've been uh, speaking up on one of these um, meetings. So uh, thanks, Lorenzo, and I'm showing you my face. Um, but I, I did want to say on kind of a positive note about this whole political business. Um, I live in Oregon, and, you know, we passed the uh, psilocybin uh, therapeutic use initiative. And um, this week was the deadline to apply for the, um, like, the board that's going to uh, lay out the regulations for that in detail. And, um, and I applied for that and, um, we'll see if I get on there or not. But anyway, uh, that's my little 10 cents of like being politically active for this year. <laughs> yeah. And, and Hey, thank you for stepping up to the plate. You know, that, uh, I was worried that there's going to be a bunch of pharmaceutical guys got involved in that. So it's nice to know that, uh, some real people are there too. So, uh, yeah, well, I'm, I'm worried about that too. So, that's, hey, Ed, what's your motivation? What's your agenda? What do you want to bring to the board? Um, well, so I'm a, I'm a parent of two teenagers, and, um, and I, you know, my main motivation is to, uh, to help guide the regulation in a way that uh, avoids um, all the negative consequences of most of our previous drug laws in terms of um, – either not being based on factual information or taking too strong of an agenda about what the, the content of the psychedelic experience is and how it should be limited or structured in this therapeutic model. So, um, so my agenda actually is uh, twofold, I guess. One is to make sure that the, the regulations are um, clear and fact-based, but also that they don't promote too, like, um, too much of a, uh, a cognitive, like a, a limited cognitive frame for talking about the psychedelic experience that, um, you know, so if there, if uh, my, so I have a couple different concerns about it. One is that um, the regulations might impede uh, the ability of people to grow their own mushrooms and somehow regulate that in new or uh, surprising ways. I'm also concerned that it might establish such a set of like therapeutic guidelines around it that it sort of changes the nature of what, um, how we look at psychedelics as a tool for just personal exploration or all the other ways that they can be used aside from the therapeutic context. Mm. So, um, so that's basically it. I mean, I'm, it's mostly, I'm just interested in it um, uh, as a long time kind of hobbyist in that area. At what age are you going to turn your kids on? Are you going to let them find it themselves? Well, that's a good question. They have to find it themselves, of course, but um, but I haven't been shy about telling them my thoughts and experiences. So Great. You're turning them into Republicans. <laughs> <laughs> well, it seems to be for my son, yeah, or worse. <laughs> but my daughters you know are a different... You know what, Ed, that, that the, the question I posed when I, I launched this thing yesterday was, uh, what can the psychedelic community do to become active in this, this age of chaos? And we've been here almost an hour and a half, and you're the first person who's actually come up with something positive about the whole thing, because, uh, you know, getting involved on the local level in issues like this is something the psychedelic community can do. And, and it's just like, like Mike posts things to, to uh, you know, social media, whatever. Getting the discussion out there, uh, you, you've done something that's way over and above what I would consider uh, getting really active involved. And so I appreciate you uh, doing it and, and telling us about it because I think that perfectly 
uh, is a perfect example of what we're trying to get to. How can we help is what we're all saying, I think. Yeah, well, thanks, Lorenzo. I mean, I, I honestly feel the same thing about you in terms of running the psychedelic salon for so long. And, you know, my, my personal temperament is to be kind of a loner and not really um, step up in these circumstances. But it's really just becoming clear to me, you know, that community is what you make it. And, and it takes a time and investment to participate and, you know, get to know people, accept the situation as it is, and, and just, you know, contribute to it in whatever way makes sense. So, so that's my kind of my feeling about it that it's like it's an interest area of mine and you know i have a little more free time now than when my kids were younger so perfect yeah. <laughs> love it oh, oh, one reason i did want to chime up today was um i had been in one of these uh zoom calls before and i think somebody here mentioned they were from oregon is that anybody else here Oh, okay. So several of you. Oh, great. Yeah. Chris and Charles are both from Oregon. So, uh, yeah. and we've had several other people here from Oregon as well. So, uh, Oregon now, Charles well is in Oregon. He's from the bloody Valley. <laughs> <laughs> hey dude, I vote here. So that's all that matters. Anyway, where were you going with that? Ed? Um, just that I, uh, well, I guess one place I was going is if anybody else here was interested in that, um, the measure that was passed at, a, at the, like more than just a theoretical level, but was involved as either a, a practitioner or a mushroom grower or a pharmaceutical person, you know, interested in that stuff. Um, and also just wanted to kind of put the names to the faces and see if uh, there would be some way to meet in person at some point um, as this uh, unfolds. Sure. Where, where in Oregon are you? I live in Northeast Portland. Yeah. I'm in South, I'm in Woodstock. Uh -huh. uh, yeah, I'm up by St. John's. Uh-huh. Yeah, well, great. When it gets warmer, like we can triangle. find a park. Yeah, it is like a triangle. When it gets warmer, we can find a park in the middle and um, microdose or something. <laughs> <laughs> Build a big bonfire and, and, and with your drums and, and run around it like my scene in the uh, 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 Fuck It, I Quit scene in, in Genesis Generation. <laughs> Yeah. Well, anyway, I just wanted to say hi. And since the topic was uh, politics, thought I'd chime up. I'm going to mute myself and uh, save my bandwidth for my kids who are online. <laughs> Thank you, Ed. Looking forward Thanks, to meeting Ed. you. So uh, anything else uh, on the tap today or have we kind of talked this out for a little while? It's been really good for me to uh, get some of this off my chest. I haven't been able to until now, so it's uh, great to be among friends and uh, and hear your views, too, and, and see what's going on and, and know that I'm not the only one that uh, thinks this is a pretty exceptional time. I think one of the things that's really come through is to stay engaged. Mm -hmm. And um, it's good to hear people are doing that and to not... That to realize that actually it matters. It makes a difference. Yeah. I think one of the ways that we got here was that, you know, we got discouraged, we got jaded, whatever. And, you know, a lot of people dropped being engaged and we need to do that. You know, well, it was a time in like the early. Oh, no, just to speak to that. Uh, uh, Lorenzo was talking about chaos. I, I know for from personal experience, I, I was pretty frustrated with the way things were going. Uh, and 
I, COVID is an absolutely horrifying event for humanity, but it's brought chaos and from chaos provide, you know, there's sadness, but there's also opportunity. And I think a lot of people are sense sniffing that going, Ooh, we could actually, the, the system's crumbling. We can rebuild it. How am I going to do that? And right now the frustration for some is like, well, let's open it up so we can start. But I very much feel like guys going, no, 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 you got to do your senior year these next few months. Andrew, go ahead. I was just going to say that, you know, I'm not somebody who likes to join committees, you know, the kinds of, kinds of activities I find myself involved in, it's, it's not useful to have your name on the roles of political action committees or lists like that. So, you know, I, you know, I tend to seek a kind of like, uh, sorry <laughs> That's a beautiful dog, by the way. It reminds me of my, my old Rottweiler who I, I inherited. His name was Igor. And uh, for about four years, he was my only companion and best friend. And uh, so you can't beat a dog. And, and while we're waiting for, for the dog to settle down there, uh, I read an article this morning that uh, there's a, a, several new studies that seem to uh, have confirmed that uh, some birds are self-aware. And it seems like if a bird can be self-aware, a dog can be self-aware. I think most animals probably are, too. Maybe not the same way we think of it, but I'm, I'm sure they are. Oh, yeah. I find it odd that this is news. <laughs> well, it's just that the science has finally caught up. Go ahead, Ildiko. Sorry. Okay. I just wanted to pitch in about birds and dogs and cats. And we have all here where we live. And uh, we have a peacock uh, who, who decided to live in our little courtyard. And then we have a black cat who joined us. And uh, we have a dog, we have four dogs coming around and everybody's looking for food and companion and coming in for the warm weather. And it feels so good. It feels home without animals will be empty or without kids. But we are now grown up. So we have all these lovely animals coming and visiting and staying in, and it's just been beautiful. That's really uh, important, I think. An additional comment to that about birds being self-aware. Um, two nights ago, we lost the partner of one of our parrots, and he and the remaining bird, Yopo, who's now sick himself, we think probably they got a cold or some other infection, and she went very quickly, and he's trying to hold on, but we had quite a connection going during the course of the evening. I brought uh, the female back in, put her in the cage, and we sat for a long time, and I signaled to him in various ways that I was finally going to remove her at a time that Ildiko and I felt was appropriate. And he looked at me and gave me a silent chirp and indicating, at least as far as I perceived, that it was okay now to take her away, that he had finished saying goodbye. 
and it was quite quite remarkable so i would totally agree yeah when i was growing up our family had uh for a few years uh, we had a, a, a golden crested cockatoo that lived in a big cage in our backyard it was it was like a grass hut that had been converted into a bird cage so it was like a lot of space but this particular bird had been injured by kids when it was little and so it couldn't fly it had a bad wing um and my dad and i used to go and like spend time with this bird and cuddle it and it would crawl up on our shoulder and like cuddle into our neck and we would like pet scratch its neck and pet it and it would do this kind of low rumbling chirping purr sound and it was just adorable but apart from the two of us it like it pretty much like tried to bite anyone who got close to it and um, I left there, you know, when I was 18 and it was 14 years before I ended up going back to visit and the bird was still alive and it had been living in somebody else's backyard for the intervening years. But we were walking past the house where it was living and I saw it in the backyard in a cage and I was like, is that our bird? And went up to it and like, I, I have no way to describe it that feels honest except to say that it seemed like the bird recognized me instantly. I don't and I don't know whether it would be on a smell level or what, but it was cuddling and I scratched, I scratched its neck and it was just, it was just an overwhelmingly bizarre experience to have because I was not used to attributing that kind of intelligence to a bird. Beautiful um, but experience. What, what I was saying before, just before the dogs interrupted, um, was that, you know, when, when, I live with a certain faith that in a world like we live in, there is still space for like the kooky shaman or shamaness to live in the little hut at the edge of the village and grow their strange plants. And I, I live with a certain faith that if I commit myself to that and maintain connections with people who are out in the world on political action committees, that I can sort of be an informing voice for the people who are out there writing the rules. Um, and I don't know, that's given me a certain uh, calm during this year when there just wasn't a lot that I wanted to be involved in, in the organized political sense. Um, and I had to sort of say to myself, well, I'm here, I'm growing my plants, I'm communicating love and compassion to all the people that I touch in the world around me. And, you know, at the moment, that's really like, that's, that's what I can do. Well said. Well said. In fact, that might be a perfect place to leave it. Go ahead, Rio. I, I just wanted on this kind of topic relate. We lost an, another bird what, a month ago, maybe now. Um, and it, through some action I did giving him some avocado, please don't do that if you have birds. Um, and yeah, I was really beating myself up about it. Uh, I just felt horrible. Um, and I didn't know it, you know, at the time you shouldn't do that. And it was the next morning and I was cook, uh, making breakfast in our kitchen, which because of the way <laughs> the place we were living in was actually outdoors. And I was physically suffering. I truly was, it wasn't just psychological, I was physically suffering. And as I was cooking there in the kitchen, 
a bird flew in because we had a lot of birds that would come in and out of the courtyard. A bird flew in, landed on my left shoulder for a few moments, and all of that mourning, all of that sadness, everything just went right out of my body and completely changed me and my state. And it was the first experience I've had that I believe there truly is, uh, for one of a better term, a biospheric consciousness of life. And, you know, that bird, the thought that came to my mind when that bird landed on my shoulder was, it said, you know, it's okay. It's okay. And it, it was such a radical physical change that in my, that experience to me was so real. Um, yeah. That, that makes Gaia very real for me. Yeah. The concept of Gaian intelligence. Uh, you know, that, that wasn't an accident. That wasn't, uh, a, a you know, coincidence or something that, that was intelligence acting. Yes. Yes. Have you ever had a bird land, a wild bird land on your shoulder before? No. Yeah. You know, that's, that's, that's an awesome story. Amazing story. Really. Uh, now that you got me all ready to cry, <laughs> I think we better, better call this a day. You guys. <laughs> <laughs> now you got me thinking about my dog Igor who I had to put to sleep you know so <laughs> but in any event listen y'all I'm going to have a little toke right now and I hope the rest of you keep the old faith and stay high until the next time we get together be well my friends thanks Lorenzo bye everybody bye everybody and for now this is Lorenzo signing off from Cyberdelic Space namaste my friends <laughs>